You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, this is the PBP Voices of Baseball. We bring you the people who bring you the game. Yes, yes, this is the PBP Voices of Baseball, where I profess my love of Major League Baseball play-by-play. The sport itself is a companion, so the voice that brings it to us is, of course, a deeper level of companion. And uh, I, Matt Spiegel, believe that our relationship with the craft and the role informs our love of the game and connects deeply with the values we may not fully understand. So that's what this podcast is about, exploring those connections and talking to some of the most accomplished play-by-play broadcasters alive. we got a truly great one today. Tom Hamilton of the Cleveland Guardians, once the Cleveland Indians. What a great, kind man and broadcaster. There's magic in being the radio person, delivering all you can with no visuals to help out, right? It's the artistry of it. You'll hear Tom making several calls along the way, huge moments, and you'll hear the brush strokes with his oil paints, and then you'll hear him talking about his oil paints. There's a great highlight in this episode. He says it's the biggest and greatest moment in the history of Jacobs Field slash Progressive Field. And Tom's call talks to the listeners and the reality of the job. Quote, you should see this. You'll hear him say that, essentially. And it's truly empathizing with you, the listener, not the viewer. That's the gig. And I referenced this with Joe Buck in episode one. The national TV broadcast takes over when the playoffs come at a time when the local TV people have carried fans through 162 games. It's brutal. You're disconnected from your companion. But the radio broadcasters... They get to stay. In terms of a winning baseball perspective, Tom Hamilton got to see the 90s Cleveland Indians come together, arrive seemingly en masse at a brand new beautiful Jacobs Field, and then become truly great. Six division championships in seven years, two trips to the World Series, and an incredible nucleus of talent. Tom rode that wave with lots of joy and emotion. It's one of the things I love about him as a broadcaster. When something big happens he rises to the moment without fail he's always been super accessible call tom hamilton up put him on a sunday morning baseball show absolutely and if you happen to meet him in the hallway on press level like i did last spring in arizona well he makes you feel like you belong when i was doing one of those games at spring training tom it was against cleveland And I had the opportunity to talk to you in the hallway. And I remember very fondly you saying, Matt, tell me about your team. (laughs) And you asked me about the team as broadcasters do. And it was, I felt like, oh my God, I'm in the club. 
I think I'm in the club. Um, and I, I wonder, so first of all, thank you for the kindness uh, as always. And I, and I wonder how important that kind of conversation is to the job that you do checking in with the other broadcasters. I think that's the fun part of it, Matt. I mean, um, it's also kind of a, a piece of the pie, so to speak, because you talk to players and the managers and coaches and whatnot. But um, I think just as importantly, you talk to the other broadcasters because a lot of times um, you get the unvarnished truth. And of course, a lot of things that us broadcasters talk with each other about, we won't use on the air because, you know, you don't want to compromise anybody, but it, it gives you a little more of a, a background on what is going on with the ball club. And, you know, um, for instance, we're in San Diego playing the Padres and, you know, they're having a, a very disappointing season and y- you find out a few more things as to why maybe uh, the ball club has been disappointed. Now, some of it, again, you're not going to, you know, use on the air because you don't want to violate anyone's trust but sometimes it adds up a little bit more as to what's going on with the ball club and whatnot. But I think just as importantly, Matt, I, I get a big kick out of talking to other broadcasters. I mean, we're all peers. Um, we're all in this together. And uh, for me, when I began in 1990, as much fun as it was to go to all of these ballparks and, and meet these people and players and whatnot, um, right at the top of the list was was meeting the fellow broadcasters because really those were the guys that you were emulating when you were coming up through the minor leagues. Three years at Columbus with the Clippers in the Yankees system. Is that, is that right, Tom? Yes. Yes, and- I had also done minor league ball in Appleton when Appleton at that time was the Class A ball club for the White Sox. I'm dating myself now, but the first team that uh, – I got a chance to do some of their games. We never did a full uh, class A season in Appleton, but the first Appleton Foxes team, you know, featured Greg Walker and Ron Kittle and Roland Heeman was the general manager of the White Sox. And he came to Appleton with this uh, young guy that was kind of being mentored by Roland Heeman named Dave Dombrowski. And, you know, Dave Dombrowski is probably going to end up in baseball's hall of fame someday. So um, it's a big circle when you look back that far. Wow. That's, that, that's amazing. Yeah. Cause those, those people, then when you end up talking to them 20 yeah. years later, it's an immediate chemistry and they'll give you more, won't they? They'll give you more background and context that'll help you with your job. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it, it takes you back to a time when I think we were all in the same boat going, you know, um, chasing dreams. Will we ever get there? Um, uh, you know, and when you're in class a, the major leagues is about as, far away is the moon. Did you have broadcasters that you listened to uh, on your way up that you you mentioned emulating some of the guys you end up being um, colleagues with? Yeah, man, at least for me, and I still um, listen to broadcasters on the way home or maybe to the ballpark, uh, depending on who's playing. And uh, the beauty of satellite radio now is that you get to hear all of these other broadcasters, I never want to stop learning. I think if you get to that point, um, you'll find out how quickly uh, you're irrelevant and maybe how little you know. But um, I also think you're a byproduct of where you grew up. You know, I grew up uh, on a dairy farm outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And, you know, back in the days, that was 
before Milwaukee left and became the Atlanta Braves. You know, that was when I was a kid listening, you know, to, to the late great Earl Gillespie <clears throat> doing Milwaukee Braves games and with Hank Aaron and, you know, Joe Edcock and Eddie Matthews and Warren Spawn. And then as you got older, um, you know, you would listen to Lou Boudreau and Vince Lloyd and, and uh, because the Cubs were always on during the day, maybe when you were out working or, or doing chores, or once you moved to town, cutting other people's lawns, whatever the case may be. And, you know, then also as I got older and, and, and got into the business, I was so lucky in that Wisconsin had some great broadcasters. Gary Bender uh, was in Madison for a number of years and did the Packers and Badgers. And then, of course, Gary went on, um, you know, to really become the voice of CBS Sports there for a while. And Merle Harmon was so good when the Milwaukee Brewers came back uh, and became a, you know, didn't come back, but the Seattle Pilots became the Milwaukee Brewers. And, you know, then, of course, Merle teamed up with Bob Eucher. And, um, you know, Eddie Doucette was doing the Milwaukee Bucks. So um, when you were a young person growing up in Wisconsin, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but you look back, those are some of the great broadcasters in the history of play-by-play anywhere. You're making me want to go back to listen to some of those guys because some of those names I haven't heard when I'm talking to people about their influences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, some I, and some I have. Um, but... There's a freewheeling energy in your calls, Tom, when something goes well. Let's say Manny Ramirez off Dennis Eckersley uh, with a a monster home run that I watched this morning with your call. Unbelievable. 2-2 pitch. A swing and a long drive. Deep left. Way back. Goal! Manny Ramirez has won it. Halfway up the bleachers and left, a two-run homer on a 2-2 pitch in the 12. How about these Indians? They win it in 12 innings, 5-4. to four. There's a, a freewheeling energy, like a willingness to kind of let yourself go that a lot of broadcasters don't. And I wonder if, if that was always there or if you got more comfortable letting yourself feel that emotion because I know – you know, thousands and thousands of Cleveland fans who love it. Well, thanks, Matt. I, you know, again, I think you just, eventually you, you develop your own style. That's why I thought it was so important. And look, I, I started at the bottom. I mean, I started in Shell Lake, Wisconsin and um, worked my way up, you know, doing tons of high school games, mostly football and basketball as well as baseball. But there were more football games and basketball games when you're doing high school games and, you know, went to Watertown, Wisconsin, and then to Appleton and Milwaukee, and then on to Columbus. And I think that's why you need, you know, everybody wants to get to the top right away. We're all impatient, but in this industry, you, you really need repetition. You really need to develop your own style. You really need to make sure you're not copying uh, somebody else, uh, you know, think of all the young guys that have come out of the Los Angeles area trying to be the next Vin Scully. Well, that's not <laughs> going to happen. You know, um, the good Lord only made one of those and, uh, that one will never be topped. And so you really do have to identify who you want to be, have your own style. And, you know, I think part of it is personality driven. Look, 
what I do um, may not work in another market. Other people might say, this guy's driving me crazy. There are probably people in Cleveland and a lot of them that say the same thing. But again, I think you have to be who you are uh, because I think the audience will quickly pick up on somebody that is play acting or is being phony. And so you, you, you do the style that you feel fits your personality or what you're comfortable with. And then um, you hope like heck people like it. Yeah. It, it's I, I've given that a version of that advice to so many young broadcasters, whether they're talk shows or whoever, like whatever makes you weird, you're going to want to accentuate <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> because that, that's what we're there for. And, and I can tell you when listening to Tom Hamilton, you fear that you feel that uniqueness. Uh, I won't, I won't call you weird, Tom. Um, <laughs> well, I've been called a lot worse, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the local radio guy gets to stay as the playoffs roll on. Yeah. And that, and that's a really important distinction. It's part of why my friend Len Casper left Cubs TV for white Sox radio Yeah, is because he dreams of calling the world series. And these days with the, uh, the at bat app, we can choose you. And I very often have chosen you when Cleveland's been in the playoffs, Tom, Saturday, October 8th, the AL wildcard game of 2022. Two. I, I spent six innings with you of a 15 inning game <laughs> and it was, it was freaking glorious. All right. Anders pitch, a swing and a high fly deep off center field. It is gone. Hello, New York. Oscar Gonzalez sends the game. Series, a mob scene at home plate, a towering solo homer to left center. What is the tension like in that game? And uh, uh, you know, when you're in an extra inning, winner take all game that could end on any pitch, and it goes on for six extra innings. I think that's the thing you kept trying to remind yourself of is that you know, stay grounded here because you don't know when a game like that's going to end. And that, you know, it could be a memorable ending. It could be a crash and burn. Um, that's the kind of game, too. You know, the thing we got used to in the regular season was the ghost runner at second base to start an inning. Well, we went back to old school baseball in the playoffs where you start every inning with the bases clear like we used to do. So that added, I think, a little more drama. To, I don't know if it added drama, but it it added the the fact that um, you could more likely have the game end with a home run than a base hit because there was no runner at second base to potentially win the game on a base hit. And when you get deeper into those games, it feels like it's going to be a home run that's usually going to end it. And so I just don't think there's anything. And I understand your point with Len Casper and Len and I have talked about it. I think, Len is one of the great broadcasters in our game. And that's a hard thing to give up, not being able to do the playoffs. And you can see why it meant a lot to him to, to go back to radio. So he'll get that chance someday with the Chicago White Sox. And so that, you know, the worst thing in the world is to do these games all season long and get to the most enjoyable part of any um, sport that's postseason and not be able to be a part of it. 
have you, did you ever have TV offers along the way, Tom, that yeah. did, chose yeah. to stay with radio? Was that part of the reasoning at all? Yeah. And Matt, more so, it wasn't so much about the playoffs for me. I got my television fill for 25 years. I did Big Ten basketball on television, um, first with Raycom, which then turned into ESPN Regional and then eventually the Big Ten Network. So I, in fact, gave up doing college basketball after our World Series with the Cubs in 2016 because it was time. I was exhausted from that postseason run. The first basketball game (laughs) was going to be a week after the World Series, and it was like, you know what, this is time. And I was lucky enough to do Big Ten on television for 25 years. And so I got my my chance to see how it was to do television. And by the same token, I I just have always been a radio guy at heart as far as play-by-play. If you want to do play-by-play, really the, the, the most, uh, I guess, what would be the most true way of doing play-by-play is on the radio. I mean, what, what I found in television, and I enjoyed it immensely, the camera's doing the play-by-play. Um, you're, you're just adding um, some thoughts there, but more importantly, you're setting up your analyst. Television is an analyst medium, and um, they're the ones that can tell us something we can't see because the camera's doing the play-by-play. Mm-hmm. Radio, you're the camera. Um, you're creating the picture for the listener, and that's the truest form of play-by-play. And for me, that's what I've always enjoyed is, is you know, just taking it from ground zero, so to speak. And, you know, the old adage of having a blank canvas and and filling it in, you know, with color and with pictures, that, that's play-by-play for me. And that's why I always wanted to stay on radio. Plus, you, you know, you don't have to look as pretty on radio as you do on television. Oh, so. you're plenty pretty. That, you're, that you're, helped you're, me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty enough, Tom Hamilton. You know, I, I, I was thinking about the audio medium because I, I, I thoroughly agree, by the way. And there's something that's so wonderfully timeless about radio play by play. It feels like it could be any era of our lives or our grandparents lives, et cetera. Um, and I was thinking about your son, Nick who has dealt with severe hearing issues his whole life and the story of him becoming a division one ball player and, and then playing in the major leagues and in Cleveland and you having a chance to see that is so wonderful. Um, But, but I wondered how it kind of fit in with the fact that you work in this audio medium. That must've been something you thought about all the time to have a a son with hearing issues as you are an audio guy. Did that inform the way you think about the power of radio and audio in any way? It it partially did, Matt. Yeah. And and I mean, you also get letters from people that are blind and, um, and that that night's ball game is what they look forward to all day long. Hmm. And, you know, I just realized how blessed I have been uh, to not only have this job, but to have, you know, my vision, my hearing, Um, you know, you never take health for granted. And, you know, we've been so fortunate uh, to have four children and, and Nick, our oldest, as you talked about, you know, just had something that uh, didn't form properly in the inner ear and, and led to bilateral loss. And, Um, but you know, he overcame that with years of speech therapy and hearing aids and, um, was a terrific athlete. And, 
you know, now just a few years ago, finally had to have a cochlear implant, but you're also so grateful for modern medicine. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it is ironic, you know, that, um, you know, something you do for a living is with your voice and that, you know, your son was getting to a point where he couldn't hear it when he was three years of age. So, and again, we're, we're so blessed and fortunate that we had the right doctors in Cleveland. Uh, there was an incredible ENT in Pittsburgh named Dr. Charles Bluestone that Nick was part of an exploratory surgery and experimental surgery that is now accepted practice. And um, so in a way, his journey will help some future child someday down the road. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think the beauty too of baseball, Matt, is the time of the year. Now, look, I'm out in San Diego, so out here it never matters. <laughs> the time of the year is irrelevant because of the weather. But when you're in the Midwest, as you are, as I grew up and still am in, you know, people are so anxious for the good weather and summer. They're not going to be locked onto their television for the next six months and never leave the house and watch a game. So I think that's where baseball on the radio still is such a great marriage because so much of it is tied into the fact that people are doing things and, and can still, you know, stay abreast as to what's going on with the game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so Tom, talk to me about your setup. What what do you have in front of you? Are you uh, an old school like single scorecard guy? <laughs> do you have a book? Um, is there a laptop? Paint me a picture of your desk, if you would, sir. Yeah, as far as at a ball game, um, I'm old school and and blending in uh, with old school. <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you can't do anything anymore without your laptop. And I mean. Uh, you know, I mean, gosh, again, people will go, what? But, you know, you used to have, I don't even know what the heck it was called now, uh, but a machine that you would have to rip off the paper to get the scores um, throughout the course of a game. And you would have to keep your own score sheet for games elsewhere and up to date on that. Whereas now you go to the laptop when you're updating people on scores and everything is right there and whatnot. But so, yeah, I use a, a laptop, but I still, you know, have, an, uh, you know, my own scorecard that um, I don't want to say I invented it. Everyone takes somebody's scorecard and tweaks it until they get one of their own, or at least that's the way it's been for me. And then I have them printed at a local print shop for me anyhow. And um, then I have two books, one on um, Cleveland and the other on the Visitor's. And I make up a, a four by six index card on every player, um, both uh, in the American League and with Cleveland. I'm not doing it now for the National League because, you know, you're only playing these teams three times. But uh, that's something that I spend most of spring training on, updating that, um, putting stuff, not so much stats in there, but maybe notes of interest, uh, human interest stories, stuff like that. I mean, I know all of that could be 
kept on a computer, but I don't have time, especially now during the course of a game with the pitch clock to try to look things up on a computer. Um, so I just have that book there and then I, you know, have it in a batting order. And, you know, when the three hole hitter is up, you flip to that card. So if you've got time for something that's relevant, you can add it. But, you know, the one thing, Matt, I'm sure you've told kids and I tell um, young broadcasters coming up, the best games that you ever do are the ones in which maybe you only use 15% of what you prepared because the game was so good. It didn't need any additions from you where you need to be prepared and have extra material is when you've got a nine to two ball game and it's only the fourth inning. And so um, sometimes I think young broadcasters and I was certainly one of those, you did all of this prep work and by golly, I'm jamming this stuff into the broadcast, whether it's a, um, you know, something that should be going in now at that point, whether it was relative or not. And so, um, and so I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of a cross old school, new school. Um, I know some guys do their, their actual scorekeeping on a computer. I'm always in fear of that computer going down and, uh, then you'd be simply stuck with nothing. So I like today's technology, but only to a certain point. That is, that is great stuff. Um, yeah. It makes all the sense in the world, all of that. So yeah, like I, I, I have the Bob Carpenter book, which um, the score book. A lot of guys know, use that. Yep. That's it, a great book. But, but now I, now I'm dying to see yours that cause you <laughs> tweaked one, but it, it, isn't it a beautiful language? Everybody can, it, is. It, it can, can score however they want. As long as you understand that's what matters. And how many guys you think have invented their own kind of uh, scorecard like you have along the oh, line? I, I think a lot, man. And, and I think too, you know, how they always say there are never two snowflakes that are alike. You will never see anybody's scorecard look like anybody else's. I mean, you'll look at it and it'll look like it's written in a foreign language. And, and yet everyone's got to do what works for them. I mean, they tell the story and I'm sure you've heard it when uh, Phil Rizzuto was doing the Yankee games with Bill White and Bill White left the booth for a half an inning for some <laughs> reason and, you know, came back and was trying to catch up on what went on and, you know, looks into Phil's scorecard book and he goes phil what does ww mean for this player and phil's reply was wasn't watching and so <laughs> only phil could get away with that but uh, truly we all uh we've created our own mad scientist when it comes to our score sheet or score oh. Oh, it's so good. So I, I keep hanging a star uh, in honor of Jerry Coleman on a good play. So I can yeah. look back and know it's a good play. What are some things you do that only you understand? Yeah. Four stars for me is tops. Um, um, I do that on, you know, I, I go from one to four stars on plays. Um, you know, I use the yellow highlighter for like home runs or um, for certain things that are noteworthy that you want to be able to look back, you know, that's another thing you try to remember that people aren't listening to you for three hours or this day and age, uh, two hours and 20 minutes, <laughs> but um, you want to make sure that you're recapping games throughout a broadcast. And I find that if certain things are highlighted, um, it kind of jars your memory a little bit and you can do a quicker, more accurate recap. But um, yeah, I, th I think all of us are similar in a lot of ways, but we all have, 
uh, unique characteristics that it's almost maybe, maybe it's also a, a privacy thing or whatever. All right. You can look at my scorecard. But you're not going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one who can do this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've started it. Right. Oh God. Um, so 1990, you start in Cleveland, Tom, and there's some rough years and then second place in the strike short in 94. And then you get spoiled with five straight division titles, six out of seven, two trips to the world series. Um, it must've just been incredible. And some of that goes along with you working with Herb Score, the legendary yep. uh, Herb Score, Radio Man since 1968 there. And and I wonder what what you learned from Herb and what it was like seeing the success kind of through his eyes who had been there for so long. Well, I had such great respect for Herb. And I mean, I didn't know Herb, obviously, nor um, knew a lot about Herb, except what everybody else knew about in that he was going to be a great pitcher. Um, truly as good as Sandy Koufax at that time, and then had the tragic line drive off the bat of the Yankees' Gil McDougal. I think anybody my age had heard about that or seen um, pictures of it and whatnot. But, you know, I just found out that, you know, and I'm, and quite honestly, you can't believe you got the job to begin with. And then secondly, it was intimidating working with somebody as iconic as Herb was in the city of Cleveland, not only uh, for his pitching and maybe what could have been and the tragedy of, of really how his career was altered. But, you know, to your point, he was a longtime broadcaster there, first in television, then switched over to radio. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you better know your place. And Herb treated me like an equal, even when I didn't deserve that and gave me, the best advice I've had uh, in my broadcasting career throughout the times that we were together, he would offer things. Herb was very subtle about things. He wasn't going to hammer you over the head with anything. And he was a private man, but you know, we got to be good friends with, with Herb and his wife, Nancy, and then got to know his children. So I, I was so, again, you win the lottery when you get a major league job, but somehow it seemed like I got a bonus because by working with Herb, if Herb accepted you, that gave you acceptance in the community and to the people that were listening to you. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was really good, Matt, that we were bad when I started. So it wasn't like, hey, he's one of those guys that, that never lived through the hard times like the rest of us. I mean, we had a the worst record in club history in 91, losing 105 games. And then in 94, obviously, they were on their way to the playoffs before the strike. And then you you mentioned the numbers there. And then Herb, Herb's last call um, was the last out in the 1997 World Series, a, a series we, we should have won Wow! Uh, against uh, the then Florida Marlins, now Miami. And so, you know, I was very, very blessed to work with him for eight years and um, feel honored that I was his last partner. It's uh, it, it, is there a piece of advice that Herb gave you that you still think yeah. about that you could share yeah, with us? Sure was, Matt. I was all giddy, you know, in the car driving back in those days, we were the only team training in Tucson. And so anytime we played a road game, it was at minimum a two hour car drive to Phoenix. Um, so we would drive in the car together and 
you know, what do I know? I know absolutely nothing. And I'm thinking, man, this is a really good team, Herb. And he, he quickly corrected me. And, he, you know, this is March. And he's saying, nah, um, we are uh, horse blank. And uh, this is going to be a bad team, but it's not going to impact your broadcast. And that every ball game that you do, um, you don't worry about the records. Both teams come into the game zero and zero. That record never impacts your broadcast. The broadcast might be something the the listeners been waiting for all day. It might be the highlight of their day. They may have had a bad day. They may be sick, whatever the case may be. And again, radio was even a bigger influence even in 1990 because, shoot, Matt, I think in those days, maybe Cleveland had 60 games televised, you know, and the other 100 were radio only. but. It was great advice because he was right. If if you go to the broadcast booth in a bad mood because your club is bad, um, you're not being a professional. And that's not right because, as Herb said, you're going to see something on any given day that you have never seen before or will ever see again in a major league game. And when you go into that booth with that in mind, like, I can't wait to see what we're going to see today or tonight. Um, that to me was as good advice as you could get and, and makes you realize that. And I think of that every time that, you know, we have a, a season where it's not a very good ball club um, that doesn't impact the broadcast. That's great advice. Does it, it, is it the same advice when you're in the middle of a 22 game win streak? <laughs> is it the One same? Of I mean, things I've learned Matt from yeah. the nineties, I probably, I know I didn't. Uh, appreciate it enough. I was too young and too dumb to realize, you know, once we got winning that this doesn't go on forever. Now in Cleveland's case, it went on a lot longer than it does for most ball clubs. As you said, um, we, we there could have easily been in the playoffs when you um, talk about the strike shortened season. And even 2000, we missed the playoffs that year by one game. I mean, we would have had an eight-year run of being in the playoffs, which can you imagine today's day and age, any franchise would take that, you know, outside of the big boys, the Dodgers and the Yankees, who are are always going to be up there because of payroll and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I did, because of that, uh, really um, cherished what happened to us in 2017. I mean, you would leave the booth match just shaking your head uh, because, you know, that game 22 was extended with two outs and two strikes on Francisco Lindor when he tied the game in the ninth inning with a double off the wall against Kansas City and Cleveland. And then Jay Bruce won it. Here it comes. A swing and a drive to deep right, down the line, base hit, into the corner, around third, coming home, Ramirez. It's a game winner for Jay Bruce, and history marches on. A mob scene in shallow center. Jay Bruce getting pummeled. It was the most incredible three-plus weeks I've ever been a part of. Um, Look, it's historical. I mean, the game's been played for how long? And uh, no team in the American League has ever had a run like that. And it kind of kind of gave you the feeling we were headed back to, to another World Series. And obviously that didn't work out that way. But 
that can't take away from the fact that, uh, you know, for three plus weeks, um, suddenly you were the national story when it came to baseball. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing in sports like a hot baseball team. It's just, how is this happening? Who's doing it today? It's just, there's just, there's just nothing like it. So that was a hell of a mid season recovery from um, a sleepy first half in 2017. The Cubs were sleepy too, maybe in part because of that world series. So Take me to the feelings of Rajay Davis against Araldis Chapman, if you would. I was down the hall from you Mm -hmm. in the auxiliary press box. I had a good view of John Lester warming up for like three innings, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was, I I was going crazy seeing like, how long is Joe going to let him throw out there? Oh my God. But um, I, I mean, what did, what did it feel like when Rajay goes deep, Tom? I think it's the greatest moment in the history of that ballpark. Now that park opened in 1994 and it's been the site of some incredible moments. As disappointing as it was not to win it. I'll take that moment that Rajay Davis had against the boldest Chapman to my grave. Um, it's the most tense filled drama building at bat that I think a world series has, has had. Maybe because of how it ended. Two outs, Geyer at second. Six to four, Cubs leading the Indians. Game seven of what has been a classic World Series between two teams that have longed for that championship more years than any other two franchises in baseball. 68 years for the Indians. 108 years for the Cubs. Now the pitch. Swing and line to deep left field. It is thought Rajay Davis would be the guy that gets a two-run home run off a Roldis Chapman to tie the game. Chapman, you know, we're not talking that long ago, but he was unhittable. Now, obviously, he had been used a lot and maybe too much the night before in a game that the Cubs were completely in control of, but that doesn't take away from the fact he's still throwing close to 100 miles an hour. And the thing I liked about it, Matt, it was mano y mano. It was Chapman saying, you're not beating me on a hanging slider. Hmm. I'm just pumping fastballs by you until this thing is over. And Rajay kept choking up a little bit more. And Rajay Davis wasn't a home run hitter. He was a speed guy. And so I think that added to it. And it was such an incredible at bat. And, you know, when you look back now and see the video, people don't realize it looked like there were as many people in the plaza area between the ballpark and the arena as there were in the ballpark. Yeah. 
And the entire place was up for grabs both ways because it almost felt like a bowl game with the amount of Cubs fans that were there. Now, a lot of those Cubs fans' kids will never go to college because their parents sold their college education down the tubes, buying two seats for seven grand a piece to be at game seven. But um, they tell a story, Matt, that Burke Lakefront Airport, which is the private airport um, just down from the ballpark right on Lake Erie, mm-hmm. they could not park one more private plane. The amount of people that came in from all over the country to be at game seven, primarily it seemed like Cubs fans, but a lot of Cleveland Indians fans yep. that you know were no longer in Cleveland that you know had that kind of money. I mean, it was an incredible scene. And I, I just think that's what our game brings that no other sport brings that moment. And um, to see guys in our dugout hurtling that, you know, protective railing and screen um, almost as if it was a game ender. And um, the, the despair that you saw in the Cubs and especially Chapman. But I thought that World Series was so good for the game of baseball to have those two ball clubs in it. And how else would you want a game seven but to have that kind of drama? And I thought it was great for the game. And, yeah, obviously disappointing that we didn't win. But I'll take that. If if you tell me every year I get to do a game seven in the World Series, that to me, those are the most magical words that a broadcaster can utter. Game seven of the World Series. I'll sign up for that. I'll take the results whichever way they go. Just phenomenal. Um, I I remember that atmosphere was insane. I'll never forget, for some reason, I I saw – a, a, a kid walking around with a t-shirt that said the golden state warriors blew a three, one lead in the finals because, <laughs> because LeBron had just taken the Cavs yep. to the yep. title across the street or across the plaza there. Yep. Um, and, and so then the Cubs came back from three, one, those are forever intertwined for me. And yep. uh, it was part of the buzz in, in Cleveland, as you know, is that LeBron had just, just gotten it done. So now it was, it was the Indians turn. Um, Wanted to ask you, Tom, is there any moment that we haven't hit on that you just absolutely love in the booth and, and think back on? And I know that's vague, but just anything could be a little thing, a big thing, some moment of fun. Nothing tops the first game. You know, you, you work a long time and um, you, you don't think when you're in the minor leagues or when you're doing high school games. And, you know, if you tell people, well, um, you know, my dream is to someday be a major league broadcaster. Well, your odds of being a player are better than being a broadcaster. There's only two of us in the radio booth. There are 26 players. Um, so, you know, you almost were hesitant to ever tell anybody that because it seems so unrealistic. So for me, Nothing ever tops getting that phone call uh, to say we want to hire you. And then the first game, now it happened to be 1990. There was, what else is new? A labor issue. And so spring (laughs) training was late getting started back in those days uh, because there had been a lockout. So the first week, my first major league game was supposed to be opening day 1990 in Yankee Stadium which I I just couldn't believe that was where I would begin my career. Well, that first week of the season, 
got postponed because of the lockout and the shortened spring training and then the late arrival to spring training. And that week's worth of games were made up throughout the season. So we then literally had opening night at our place against the Yankees, which should have been the second week of the season. And, you know, so you're going through all those nerves and whatnot. And in the second inning at Old Municipal Stadium, off Lake Erie blows in a blizzard and the game gets canceled in the second inning. And so you got to go through all of that oh. the next night. So, but I mean, just the fact that you were doing a major league game was just kind of like, you know, the impossible dream had come true. I, you know, as for far as moments, gosh, it, it's, um, I think one of the moments I was actually doing television, the ill-fated baseball network, for some reason, picked me to do television play-by-play for a dozen games that year. And I got to call the clinching game in 95 against Baltimore. And that was like the second week in September, Matt. That's how, you know, that ball club went 144 and won the division by 30-some games. And it was Cal Ripken's first game on the road after he had broken Lou Gehrig's record. And um, we win that game to clinch the Central Division. Well, that was 1995. That was 41 years after Cleveland had been in postseason. And it was pretty cool to be able to call that final out. Herb was on the radio. I was on the baseball network, I think, with Rick Cerrone, the former Yankee catcher. And um, and the city was wild. I mean, it was like you knew it was coming. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, can they win the division? It was like, well, they're going to win it September 8th or September 9th, you know. And yet the town exploded um, just because it had been so long. Last thing, just wanted to ask you for, um, you know, the best advice that maybe you've gotten or could give. You've already given some wonderful things, but this is a teaching tool for a lot of of young broadcasters. And it can be either about mechanically doing the job. Um, and maybe also just about, you know, the, the yeah. career overall. I, I think the best advice I have, Matt, is simply know how lucky you are. I, I know how good these young people are that are coming up in the minor leagues that um, I could be replaced tomorrow. And there might be a few people upset about it. But once the games start again, there's going to be somebody else in that chair that does a great job um, every bit and probably better than you did it. And the game moves on. All of us are replaceable. I mean, uh, Brent Musburger got fired by CBS. And, and when you and I were back in that day and age, probably were like, what? Yes. And Ernie Harwell got fired by the Detroit Tigers. The game moves on without any of us. So if you ever think you're more important than the game, you'll find out how quickly, how irrelevant you are once you're done. So I, I never take for granted how fortunate I am. And you're not a failure if you don't get to the big leagues or if you don't get to say a division one basketball or football program. If you enjoy broadcasting, how many people wake up like you and I do and go, I can't wait to get to work. I I saw how hard it was on a dairy farm. And then my dad moved into town and worked at a printing company. Um, That's work. This this is, this is a, a labor of love. 
that that that's beautiful because so few will actually get there as you know reminds me of a of a country song by a guy named luke combs who's popular these days he was asked what he'd be doing if he wasn't doing this and his answer is in the songs like i'd still be doing this if i wasn't doing this it'd just be <laughs> some little bar some little yep. bar just playing with his buddies that's what he'd be doing right same thing yep. like you, you you just if you can keep going you keep going well tom i I was talking with a friend of mine who's a musician out in Los Angeles. Um, he's actually he's in the band for American Idol, right? So he's wow. done he's done well for himself, but he is the biggest Cleveland baseball fan I know. And he said, Tell Tom that Tom is a taproot straight back to my childhood. Oh, is that neat? Isn't it? Mm. So, so I hope you feel that kind of emotional connection that you have with people. Cause let me tell you, I know that they feel it with you. Well, sure. it chokes you up. Thank you, man. That, uh, this has been awesome. I, I can't remember an interview I enjoyed more. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, thanks for always being so great. And, uh, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Tom. That sounds great, man. Thank you so much. Okay. You got it. Man, so glad that message from a Cleveland friend hit Tom that way. Thousands feel warmth from him. He deserves to feel it reflected back. You know, it's hard to feel comfortable at the ballpark when you have a press pass. Uh, you really you really feel like you don't belong. And I felt that way from the get-go. I, I told the story in the Joe Buck episode about Jack Clark looking at me as I was basically going all Chris Farley on him at a batting practice at Fenway when I was in college. And he goes, are we doing this fucking interview or what? And here in Chicago, being on press level was an entirely new challenge. You know, some of the grizzled baseball writers seem not to like or respect anybody. The play-by-play -play people are often icons. The partners, the analysts are sometimes straight-up legends. I remember being in the back of the radio booth, getting ready to do pregame, even just a few years ago. And the opposing broadcaster would step in to talk to Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer. And I was shy. All of a sudden, I like felt a bit overwhelmed. I, I listened to how the conversations went down. So that's why that moment with Tom at the start of the interview was so valuable. That's the secret to feeling comfortable at the ballpark is the actual humans uh, that are there. Makes sense when you stop and think about it, I suppose. Hey, how about Tom Hamilton saying that that moment, the Rajay Davis homer, in Game 7, 2016, was the greatest moment in the history of that ballpark. I know there's a lot of Cleveland fans that would find that ridiculous. They lost the World Series like an hour later. But the season is, and that game was, a crazy roller coaster. Producer Ryan Porth knows how much I like the roller coaster analogy. We, uh, we use it sometimes from the end of the movie Parenthood, where the grandmother says she likes the roller coaster. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. Well, so do I like the roller coaster. And I think allowing yourself to ride the roller coaster as opposed to trying to be level all the time is the best way to enjoy the game and the season. And I love that Tom Hamilton can acknowledge that even in retrospect, knowing what happens in that game, all he can do is speak to the moment when he's living it. And it's a testament to his memory, frankly, that he can speak to it regardless of what happened after. All right, next week on the PBP, it is a national legend who has gone back to being a local icon, the great Dan Shulman of Sunday Night Baseball fame on ESPN, who now once again is the primary voice for the Toronto Blue Jays, an absolute master of the craft and a gem of a guy as well.
My producer is the aforementioned Ryan Porth. My collaborator is James Vickery. The theme music comes from the great Kurt Morrison of Tributosaurus. Find the PBP, Voices of Baseball, on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From 2400 Sports, Odyssey, and Major League Baseball, this is the PBP, Voices of Baseball. I'll bring you the people who bring you the game.